This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. We're so relaxed today. We have new audio setup. Yeah, we're trying this on headset rather than microphone, and hopefully it sounds better to all of you listening out there. Yeah. Also, we don't have to be hunched over said microphone at your tiny desk. So I'm kind of like reclined. It's very relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> so today we are reading Night Lily, A Lover's Tale, the seventh short story in the Tales from the Lewis Eisley Cantina collection, uh, written by Barbara Hamley and edited by Kevin J. Anderson and published by Phantom Spectra in June 95. Besides this short story, Barbara Hamley wrote two other short stories, one in Tales from Jabba's Palace and one in Star Wars Adventure Journal 14. Wow, that is so specific. Are there also journals 1 through 13 and 15 through question mark? There is 1 through 13. I don't remember exactly how many there are, but yes. Okay. She has also written two Star Wars novels, Children of the Jedi and Planet of Twilight, both of which we will be getting to in the podcast in the future. Night Lily is a story about Peltiper and Trevig, a Godel who we we very briefly see in A New Hope. Trevig is a tax official and a born hunter who is always looking for ways to turn the situation to his advantage, often at the expense of others. He doesn't care who he hurts, whether it's in business or in love. Godels also have the unique ability to sense emotions with their cones, as well as powerful force users near them. Their head cones. Yes, they have these. They're not horns. They are. He call he calls them cones, not horns. Yeah, Godels are the ones that sort of look like goats, huh? Hence Godel. Yeah, the entire time I was reading the story before that was corrected for me. Afterwards, I was picturing Deveronians. I mean, the descri- except for the hair, which I apparently missed, the description is kind of similar. Yeah. So the story of Night Lily opens with a woman needing extension on her water belt. On Tatooine. Yeah, sorry. We are on Tatooine as most of these stories open. I don't know why I felt the need to clarify that. <laughs> There's just something about needing an extension on your water bill on Tatooine that's funny to me. Doesn't everyone need an extension on their water bill? <laughs> Probably. Apparently, the water imposed had been raised by 25%. That's she- got to be illegal. Uh, not Halloween, and she just can't pay it. And apparently, the raising of twenty five percent on the water bill is something that Trevig actually had a hand in helping happen, with his goal eventually knowing that as a tax collector he could force people out of their homes, and that his plan is to buy said homes and rent them out for profit eventually. What a scumbag! Right. <sighs> Besides greed, Trevig is also motivated by lust but he certainly doesn't feel that towards humans. He thinks that we are quite ugly, describing us as wan, flabby, and squishy, and he's disgusted by our lack of ability to transmit emotional waves via cone, for we lack in cones. We do. It's for the best. (sighs) You know, fair enough. We are just kind of weird, fleshy... Hairless creatures. Yeah. I mean... Definitely, like, there's this. I, I would suspect that the sample size of humans on Tatooine is especially hideous. Because just the sun is just the so sun bad exposure for you. is so bad for you. You're never hydrated enough. So, like, the way that skin can look nice when it's very well moisturized is definitely not a thing that's happening on Tatooine. And I bet you have hair loss from, like, the lack of nutrients. I mean, what, like, what is there to eat? On this horrible sand. dust ball. <laughs> Just sand. <laughs> Just consume the sand. So fair enough. But uh, I'm fine with our lack of cones. Thank you. 
one of the people who works with Trevig is a human named uh, Predni Balu. He is the assistant security officer of Mos Eisley. And Trevig thinks he has a head like a melon. I mean, almost like how... Uh... <laughs> I, I feel like I see this a lot in stories. Someone's described as having a head like an egg. Yeah. I think I'd rather have a head like a melon. A little more evenly shaped. Yeah. <laughs> Trevig tells Balu to turn the water lines off tomorrow on the woman who can't pay anymore. Balu, being a decent person, he doesn't want to turn the water off and asks Trevig to give her another month. Trevig says he's already given her two, so. Tough luck, lady. She would have been able to pay the water bill if you hadn't raised the impost. Yep. Trevik is also apparently a hunter, and being a tax official has been sort of disappointing to him. Tough luck, dude. Why did you take the job, then? Walking through the streets of Moss Eisley, though, gets his blood pumping and helps him feel more like the true wolf on the inside. He's a little weird like that. I do get walking through Moss Eisley helps you feel more alive if you're a hunter because it's such a dangerous place. Just go to the cantina and how many people are going to die in there in a given day. Just walk the streets. God. This is how you can tell that I'm not a hunter, because I'm like, no, thank you. I don't want to walk around there. (laughs) Feel my blood pressure rising already. Trevig goes to see Jubvegnu, who works for Jabba. Trevig knows that he can't buy the property outright and needs an intermediary to do so. Is it illegal to buy the property outright? I think it will look bad for a government official to buy the property outright, yes. Oh, looking corrupt in a government official on Tatooine. How scandalous. Right? Trevig says that must be completely secret, and he'll give Jabba 10% of everything he makes on the property. Two haggle back and forth, and eventually they settle on a 14% cut for Jabba. Trevig doesn't love this because it'll take a little longer to recoup his losses, but he also knows he doesn't need to, uh, he doesn't want to upset the hut. That'd be very bad for his uh, longevity. Mm-hmm. Man, Jabba must be making bank. Right. Because you got to figure that this is like a glimpse into all of the transactions that he has his sluggy little hands in. Oh yeah, almost almost everything illegal and legal, Jala is getting a part of on the Tatooine. Yeah. Once that's settled, Trevig then tells Vagnu that he has an additional deal to make. He needs another go-between, but he's not going to say what it's for. Apparently for the past couple of weeks, Trevig has been picking up a buzzing in Moss Eisley. Bzz, bzz, bzz. The buzzing is through his special little head cones that he's so proud of. Apparently, he can recognize them as the vibrations that emanate from a powerful force user, such as a Jedi Master. However, since he works for the Empire, he isn't eligible for the substantial reward or bounty that is on Jedi in the area. So he needs someone else to turn the bounty in for him. So he initially offers Vegnu 20%, but then ups it to 25%, where the extra 5% is to swear him to complete secrecy on what Trevig wants, which he still doesn't tell Vegnu. Complicated business dealings? A little bit. Back in his office, Trevig is thinking about the Jedi when a woman comes to see him. A different woman than before. He feels her vibrations and pretty much instantly falls in love slash lust at first sight. Which is really weird. Well, he describes it as love. The way he later acts and thinks about her makes it clear that it is lust. Yeah. But the way he phrases it internally is love. She's not a godal. But, even though she's a different species, Trevig just doesn't care because she is so beautiful. He also doesn't know exactly what she is. Yeah. She seemed like some kind of flowery insect, almost. Just... Kind of weird. Just kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, you know I like weird aliens, but... Cough, Garrus. If something is that alluring and beautiful, 
I mean, think about like in nature, things that are beautiful are often like poisonous deadly. or venomous or yeah, deadly in some fashion. Are you trying to spoil the story before we get to the end? I mean, it's not a it's not a spoiler. It's not like this podcast is going to go on beyond thirty minutes. <laughs> like they're list. If you're listening to this, we summarize the entire plot before we get to what we liked about it. <laughs> No, I'm just I'm just doing some foreshadowing. Okay. She introduces herself as Niyum Onith. And that is my best shot at that name. That's a good shot. Has an apostrophe and a lot of extra vowels in it. I I Y O O. Yeah. She's named for the Miyum, a white flower that blossoms in the season of trine. Mm-hmm. I'm an expert on this people and culture. This is apparently the season where all three moons give their light, also known as the Night Lily. Trevig, being a simple man, decides he's just going to call her Night Lily rather than her full and proper name. A simple, uncultured man. Yeah. She's having trouble paying the passage checks to get off Tatooine, which is something else that Trevig also helped create. Of course. If Night Lily pays the tax, she won't have enough money to get home to her mother. Trevig promises to look into it for her, and will even go and visit the ship to try and make sure it doesn't leave without her. However, inwardly, Trevik plans to arrive just as the ship leaves in about an hour. Therefore, trapping her here so that she can be subjected to his lustful advances. Balu talks to Trevik and says, just give her the money. It's like 75 credits. It's something absurdly low. Yeah. But Trevik ignores what Balu says. Balu then actually surprises Trevik and asks him if he's ever heard of the Force. And instantly Trevig's like, no, I haven't heard of that. What are you talking about? And Balu says that he only asks because of the large bounty on the Jedi. He's also heard a rumor that there's been a Jedi sighted on Tatooine and asks Trevig if he's run across anything strange. He also says that he has set up a watch on Pylocam's stand. Pylocam sells, like, crunchy hippie stuff, kind Tea. of. Like, and apparently no one shops there. <laughs> Figuring that a Jedi might show up looking for herbal tea. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> I mean... They seem like tea drinkers, right? At least some of them. I feel like this is just a, a natural extrapolation of the kind of, like, culture coding that Lucas put into Jedi. Like, they are kind of monastic. They're monk-like. You kind of imagine them sitting at the top of a mountain drinking some tea and then doing some Tai Chi. Trevik says no. The only thing strange that he's seen is what Pylocam serves. Yep. Crunchy, hippie stuff. Trevig, predictably, gets to the ship just as it takes off. And since Night Lily is stuck here, Trevig offers to get her lunch. While eating, Trevig is struck by her naivety and thinks that getting her in bed will be absurdly easy. Because he's such a nice guy. Mm-hmm. But he tells her that he loves her. Night Lily asks, do you mean marriage? And Trevig says yes, thinking her too stupid to see through his lies. And he figures he'll bed her by the end of the day. Balu sees what Trevig is doing and tells him to leave Night Lily alone. He says that Trevig would likely ruin her life. If you find her so attractive, there's a chance that they could have a baby together, and most civilized species often have people who have hybrid children, which I thought was a kind of awful thing to say. That's not very civilized. I also just feel like it's a reach. Like... He specifically brings up, I think, the enzymes or something. And oh, yeah. It's not Some just the attraction, science. but yeah. <laughs> the fake science as well. 
Night Lily tells Trevig that the males of her species are scared of commitment, which makes it difficult to wed. Poor girl. Mm-hmm. That sounds like she has quite a plight. Yeah. While they're eating, Trevig sees Pilakim heading to the government offices and thinks, oh no, he's seen a Jedi and he's going to collect the reward and I won't be able to get it. But he's still got his hands full with this woman. This beautiful, illustrious creature. He has booked Night Lily passage home, and he promises that he'll follow a few days later. He just has some business to take care of on Tatooine first. Yeah, he's a bu- he's a busy government official. He can't just up and leave at a moment's notice, even to get married. Sure. Trevig knows that if Palo Cam tells Balu about the Jedi, then he knows that Balu will open an investigation into it, meaning that Trevig won't get the reward he so desperately wants. So, naturally, he decides it's time to have Balu killed. You know, the one decent person working in the government on Tatooine. The only decent person on Tatooine. <laughs> Usually, Trevig would use Vegnu to set up the hit, but he thinks, you know what? How hard can it be? I'm just going to go to the cantina myself and hire an assassin. And there are a lot of hirings that take place in this cantina. Yep. <sighs> of course, he brings Night Lily with him, because this is an appropriate venue to bring your betrothed. Of course. On the eve of your marriage. While they are there, Ben enters, and Trevik instantly recognizes this as the person he is after, the Jedi Master. Which is further confirmed when Ben separates an arm from the body with his lightsaber. After the violence, Trevik goes to get Night Lily drink to help calm her down. And while doing so, he purposely walks by Han's booth and overhears the deal he and Ben are making. He realizes he has time, as they need to raise 2,000 credits first, probably by selling their speeder. Scoping out his prospects in the cantina, Trevig has decided to hire Greedo. But before he can hire him, Greedo confronts Han and is murdered. Oops. I mean, shot. Killed. Destroyed? Maybe it's putting it to, like, Greedo went there with the intent to murder Han, but I don't think Han necessarily murdered Greedo. I would call it self-defense. Yeah. Even if it was under the table. Realizing he won't be able to do it himself after all, Trevig decides he needs to get Vegnu to hire someone to kill Balu. For now, it's time to take Night Lily to an inn to consummate their quote-unquote marriage. With all that's happening around the spaceport, Trevig's body isn't found until the next afternoon. Yeah, there are Imperial troops coming into most Isolate looking for the droids, there are rumors of a Sand People massacre, and of course, the firefight at Docking Bay 94 that Han blasts out of. Wuher says afterwards that female Nemthe gut the males with their tongues. Balu was surprised that Trevig didn't see his death coming because of the sensitive cones that alert him to violence that's going to happen to him soon. And Wuher says that he wouldn't have sensed it because to Night Lily, it was an act of love, not murder. And thus the story ends. Well, that was something. <laughs> yeah, something is a good way to put it. What did you think of this one? I mean, I liked it better than the previous story, the uh, the melting of Greedo. I definitely liked it better than that. <laughs> I wish it had been called that. <laughs> the melting of Greedo. <laughs> I mean, Trevig, he's a scumbag, horrible, awful creature. And I just didn't really enjoy learning more about him as the <laughs> story went on. So yeah. I didn't like it because he was the main character. But he caught his puppets at the end. And that I very much, uh, the story I didn't like, I liked the ending. Oh, yeah. And, he and, had it coming. Oh, he absolutely did. <laughs> and I really liked how uh, the author did it. Like, just like, they're going to the inn, to their room, to have some private time. And then it cuts to, and then kind of something like, his body wasn't found until the next afternoon. You're like, wait, what? His body? <laughs> it's just, 
you see it coming, I think, but still. I was going to say, did you not see it coming? I, I mean, when I first read this as like a eight, nine, ten year old. Oh, my God. This is not <laughs> appropriate for a child. <laughs> I mean, most of the stories in this collection are, but this one definitely not, nor was the previous one. Oh, God. How are my parents supposed to know there'd be one or two really weird, creepy stories in this collection? No, I know. I definitely read some stuff that I shouldn't have because my parents could not be... Wow, I just cycled through three words that I'm not supposed to use on this podcast. <laughs> my parents could not be bothered to keep up with my frantic reading pace. There's just no way. I think my parents wanted to, but they just couldn't. It's just impossible. And also, when you know, there's, what, like 15 stories in here or something? And there's one or two really weird... They're not going to know. There's no way. It's Star Wars. Enjoy reading it. This this just circles back to the off mic argument we were having the other day about how Star Wars is allegedly for kids. <laughs> Not always. Not always. This is a good example of that. But yeah, I didn't like the story very much. I really like the ending, which means this is not my least favorite story, but it's not one of my favorites, certainly. Yeah, I agree with that. I I was not particularly interested in Trevig. Like, I didn't like him. I don't think we're supposed to like him. I enjoyed how he was killed a lot. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. He deserved it. <laughs> he oh, was yeah. a scumbag. I will say that this did feel more like the kind of story I initially expected from this collection because it does avoid the scene in the cantina, I think, longer than some of the other stories do. Yeah, he's, and when they're in there, the focus is more on Trevig and Night Lily than the scene itself. Yeah, the scene is kind of just the backdrop like think back to like hammer tongue like they are literally scanning every patron in yeah. the bar and paying attention or like we've talked trying to steal from obi-wan in this one does Trevig recognize i think ben? it was kabe trying to sorry steal you're right kabe was trying to steal from obi-wan like move talk would not be able to get away from that he's huge yeah <laughs> like Trevig, he instantly recognizes this is ben but my focus is still on night lily yeah not a good focus but but I also think we could have even taken a few steps more to get away from that cantina scene. Like, it could easily have just been a different fugitive. There's got to be just dozens or hundreds of fugitives on Tatooine that he could pick up on via his cones. He could, but I think the cones in the force they wanted to use. I guess. Yeah. They could it's see, just... He could see at different points in the city. Yeah. Town. Yeah. That would have been fine by me. Yeah, it's just... It's just about a scumbag jerk on a bad planet who gets back all the misery he's been dealing out. It's a good ending because of that. Yeah. But, of course, like the melting of Greedo, <laughs> it was kind of gross. It was. <laughs> yeah. Her tongue is messed up. So messed up. Yeah. It split him open like a... Like the way I imagine you like split a cow carcass open or something. <laughs> like, it's just nasty. It is. One thing I actually did like and appreciate about the story is Trevig's description of humans and Baloo in particular. Like, he doesn't think humans or near humans are good looking, which makes sense given how different he looks from us. And I appreciate just seeing that kind of thing from an alien's perspective. Um, like, you know, Baloo having a melon head, thinking of us as like these, <laughs> was it, flobby, flappy creatures. Like, I really like that kind of thing. And so often it's humans who are attracted to humans, new humans, and that makes sense. But I like seeing the other side of that. Oh, God, humans are disgusting. And I, I like it when sci-fi will do things like that. 
Yeah, and I think there's often this temptation in both fantasy and sci-fi to fall into the the default of like, oh, everyone finds humans attractive. Yeah. Or like there's a species, elves are a great example that everyone else finds attractive or something. I definitely like the nuance more of there's going to be somebody out there who always is yucky to you. Yeah. And while I didn't like Trevik as a character, he was a character that made a lot of sense to give that idea to do. Yeah. Since he is so lust driven. Of course, he's going to think humans are ugly. It's hard to imagine. That's not true. I was about to say, it's hard to imagine a goat being lust driven. And then like, I remembered some other stuff I've heard about goats and I changed my mind. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. (laughs) I know he's not actually a goat, but like. He's a goatle. He looks goat like. He's near goat. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Now let's check the holonet for messages. So we have received an email from Zach and he's asking us three questions about our podcast. Exciting. The first is, I've never read most of the EU before and was wondering what your criteria were for skipping Shadows of Mindor. So, great question. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> the answer to this is actually a little long-winded, so bear with me for a moment. The, Time it, folks. <laughs> the genesis for this podcast came from the idea of Crystal reading the EU, but she didn't want to read everything. She just wanted to read the, the important stuff, the highlights, and things I thought she would like. And my justification for this for not wanting to read everything is I know that there are at least some universal stinkers that most people hate mm-hmm. in the EU. And I it's I think it's clear from the podcast that I'm also kind of picky about bit. about stories. I knew that if I read everything or tried to and there were there was a long stint of stuff that was bad or that I didn't like, that I would lose all momentum and I wouldn't want to keep going. So so, Shadows of Mindor takes place shortly after the Two Spikura. And just personally speaking, it's not one of my favorite stories. I don't think it's a bad one, but it's not one that's ever really grabbed me. So, I think Crystal would really love it. And this was early enough in, in the podcast. This would have been, I think, before Rogue Squadron is when we would have done this book. It's that early. Wow. So, I guess it would have to be if it's after Truce of Bakura. Yeah. So, my mind set was at the time, she's not going to probably want to read this book, so we're just going to skip it. And when we first saw the podcast, I was still kind of following that same kind of general criteria for episodes. However, at this point, I think it's clear that we're reading, or Crystal will be reading more than I initially thought she would, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Well, now that I have a place to vent my spleen about it, it will be more acceptable to me. And also, things are a little more spread out, so it's easier to just read more, I feel like. Yeah, like if we're only doing a book a month, then I get a lot of recharge time between like if something was not to my taste yeah. to later. And because we have something to do with it, you'll keep reading them. So even if there's a stinker or five in a row, <laughs> you'll live. I'll live, but I will complain about it. <laughs> so that's what we skipped. I didn't think it would be on her list of likes. But now that we are, I think at this point, it's fair to say pretty involved and just into this podcast, we actually might chuckle back to this one someday. It's a distinct possibility. All right. It would be really funny if it turned out that I loved yeah, this book. <laughs> we also skipped the uh, the Bounty Hunter trilogy um, that was also set around that time, mm. which I didn't think you would love, and I still don't, but there are some interesting things in there. Also, that series is... It doesn't really fit well with canon. <laughs> it's one of the worst <laughs> about that because of what George does with the prequel era. It's about Bubba Fett. You learn a lot about his backstory, and, well, there's nothing about clones of Django in there. Well... 
Oh, well. Yeah. I will say that he doesn't completely coddle me. He still will, before the podcast, he would still pick out stuff that I think he figured I probably wouldn't like, but mm-hmm. he thought was important enough yes. to whatever continuity existed that I should read it. So The Calcutarn books are a good example. Oh, my based God. Off of video games. There are a lot of, well, by today's standards, they're not great video games, but for the 90s, they were a lot of fun, but the tie-in books that were written for them, not that great. So I knew that. I knew she wouldn't like him that much, but I still had to read them because Katarn is a he is a major character later in the EU. Fair enough. And those are maybe, those are, maybe someday we will circle back to them. Who knows? You're going to make me read those again? If the fans want it. Okay. Well, please don't ask for that. So, next question. Do you have a set read list or are you deciding each book as you go? I almost feel like we sort of answered this already. Whoops. So there is a set read list that I've created, and I'm using four he different... He has plans through 2029. At least. Ugh. Subject <laughs> to change. Always subject to change. Yeah. There are four different sources uh, I use for this. The first is my own experience. So a good example, when I read the Han Solo trilogy, and I get to, I believe it's in Rebel Dawn, there are three different interludes that refer to the Han Solo adventures that were written in the 80s. So oftentimes when I'm reading Rebel Dawn, I will actually stop reading that book in the middle of it and go read the adventure, the Hansel adventure book that lines up with that place in the book. Wow. I'm weird like that. So first, my own experience. Second uh, is the reading order that exists in the Star Wars books. We see both in Legends and Canon novels. However, those reading lists, the order aren't necessarily complete. They often will leave, leave out the, uh, the younger reader stories. So like they won't have like the uh, Young Jedi Adventures for Jason and Jaina or the stuff for Anakin. That's usually not in there. So, And I want to include those because I think those are very important books to read. Third is Wikipedia. They've got a, a great reading order for both books and comics on there. So I've heard of that a lot. And then finally, I use a website called StarWarsReadingOrder.com, which I found years and years ago uh, when it was originally just a Marvel Comics reading order because I read a bunch of Marvel comics. So it was uh, MCRO.com, and since then they've done spinoffs for other orders, and Star Wars is one of them. So I will basically cross-reference that with Wikipedia, with what's in the books, and my own experience, and decide the reading order that we're doing. Oh my god, I'm so tired just listening to that. (laughs) I now have a nice little spreadsheet that has just what we're doing and when we're doing it. But again, things are subject to change, because things happen. So a great example... Our bonus episode about the United States Republic remake was not on the schedule because we didn't know that was going to be announced that day. Yeah. And there are other books. Like, you, you actually had an idea. I won't say it next. We'll get to it in a couple of years. Uh, that actually made me change the schedule. I, I inserted a book into the schedule. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think I know what you're talking about. So, it's we, we have a schedule. Subject to change. Yeah. Finally, do you plan to throw any pre-Return of the Jedi into your read at any point? Well, we're actually answering this after, I should say this email did, we received this email before the episode posted, but we did have a bonus episode about a Valentine's Day story breaking the ice about Han and Leia before Empire Strikes Back. So right there, yes, we did do a story pre-Return of the Jedi, but it was just a short little comic. But there are, I think, other books we would eventually go back to. Absolutely. So I've toyed with the idea of maybe like just doing a year of just prequel era books or old Republic era books, just kind of like a, a fun little de- deviation from what we're usually doing. Yeah. I'm excited to say that we will in fact do a book set before Return of the Jedi. It will even be set before A New Hope. In April, we are going to be reading and discussing Kenobi. 
And I think it's kind of obvious why. <laughs> yeah, we've got the new Kenobi show coming out in May. So we wanted to look back at one of you had actually read that book a few years ago and you really loved this. It's one of my it's like, you know how we did the uh, the tears, the tears for Thrawn books in terms of like Star Wars reading tears. Kenobi is one of my top there with books. last commands. Yeah, yeah. I really love that book. Yeah, it's a great. It one. gets a five from me on Goodreads. So we'll be a discussing, rare honor. <laughs> so we'll be discussing that in April, and there could be other times we will deviate and do these one-offs like this as well. Zach? There are other books in pre-Return of the Jedi era that I really love. Mm-hmm. There's one that's like that breaks my heart because it was published not Dawn like of the Jedi. Yeah, Dawn yeah. of the Jedi into the Void. That that whole era. I thought had so much interesting setup and promise. And then I think it's likely we'll do that. We'll also, I'm planning at some point for us to, once we're done with all the tales stories, this is going to take a little while. We're going to do the tribes of the Sith short story collection. Oh, and I really liked those too. Yeah. Those are set thousands of years in the past. So we'll do some jumping and you know, Zach or anyone else. There's a book you really want us to read and discuss. Let us know. And we'll, we might do it actually. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not like, Obviously, we're reading these books a month apart, so I, I feel like a, a continuing our continuity is not super duper important right I now. I think of like, say, when we were in the middle of the Thrawn trilogy or when we get to the upcoming Jedi Academy trilogy, I wouldn't yeah. want to break those up specifically, but like yeah. before or after that, if we want to do a, a one-off like we're doing with Kenobi, absolutely. Yeah. What are the other ones from that era that I really like? Oh, Outbound Flight, obviously. You liked you didn't love the Han Solo trilogy. Yeah, it was fine. I think that was the first. Those were the first things I reread as I started getting back into the EU. Mm-hmm. Bane trilogy is obviously kind of strange and the classic. The first one's one of my favorites. <laughs> I, I like the second and third, but the first one I think is a fantastic book because we'd seen this battle just referenced so many times in other comics and book material and to finally get to see it was so cool. Sure. I don't have any of that background, so it wasn't it maybe wasn't as cool to me. I just thought it was it was an interesting concept. I didn't always think that it was executed well. But yeah, thanks for emailing us, Zach. Yeah, thank you, Zach, and I hope we have answered your questions satisfactorily. And that wraps up our discussion on Night Lily. Another very short, short story. And another short, short episode to counterbalance how long our discussions about the Thrawn trilogy have been. <laughs> Might be a nice little break. <laughs> <laughs> So next up, we will actually be returning to the X-Wing series and reading Isard's Revenge. Oh, I didn't even know that that was what was next. <laughs> I've also been writing down Revenge on everything, not Isard's Revenge. You're sneaky. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> now I'm mad that I'm 350 pages into a 780 page book and can't immediately divert to the story. <laughs> well, that's what I'm reading tonight. Wow. God. <laughs> Got so many other library books to read, too, before I can do that. Okay. Oh, Ice Heart Revenge is the eighth book in the X-Men series and the fifth one written by Michael A. Stackpole. And the episode will be released on Sunday, March 6th. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for going along with this crazy idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at tk331podcast. Hey, do you like this podcast? Are you enjoying your listening experience? You could rate us on Apple Podcasts or maybe 
tell a friend that you know who's a big nerd about it, and we can all be big nerds together. Woohoo, big nerds. How's that sound? <laughs> Go, spread the word. <laughs> and now, here it is, your moment of Star Wars. Didn't anybody tell him? Tell him what? About Nemthe. You know, the girl he was with? The Nemthe female. Night Lily? Was that her name? Figures. The Mayum, the Night Lily, is a carnivorous flower that feeds on small rodents and insects that try to drink its nectar. After mating, Nemthe females gut the males with those tongues of theirs. They're as sharp as sword blades and a lot stronger than they look. Some kind of biological reaction to there being 20 Nemthe males for every female. The males seem to think it's worth it to achieve the act of love. I saw them together in the cantina, but I didn't think Trevig was crazy enough to try to bed the girl. He was always bragging about being such a great hunter. You thought he'd see it coming. How could he? For her, it was the act of love, too. The word for love in one language is the word for dinner in others. <laughs>